a question I've been spending a little more time with lately is if Linky Land is a place of opportunity and freedom, then why does it seem like so many people end up in jail? Right? <laughs> Have you noticed that? Hey, I'm Tony, and this is In Linky Land, a podcast about the power of creating and connecting on LinkedIn. Today, I'm talking to Nick Rayburn and Doug Lawson, but let's talk about Linky Land Jail for a second, or Linky Jail. Um, it Last week, I'm recording this on the 18th of November, uh, Sam Brown, who was on episode one of this podcast, and um, has been a linky friend of mine since January, since way back while I was still in, in the triple digits in terms of the number of people in my network. Um, Sam actually had an experience where he was put in linky land jail, though I believe this time he actually was, it, it, the word banned was used. Um, after what was termed suspicious activity on his account. And this is something that happens, it seems like, to a lot of people. Um, the, the story with Sam, it was actually his fourth time having this happen, maybe third. Oh. What was so goofy about this one is that Sam has been diving into how to do carousel posts recently. And... He's gotten very good at them very quickly at a time where LinkedIn is doing that thing where they're really pushing one form of post. You know, last year it was um, it was polls, and then it looks like the selfie has gotten some some bump, and now, well, I've noticed that videos aren't getting necessarily the impression bumps uh well sometimes they do though actually and that i think i think it's still true that my two or three top posts in terms of impressions are all videos from the last two months or so so um so yeah it seems like the path platform has been pushing video and now they, they're really pushing carousels. So Sam started doing stuff like, here's how you make a carousel, which is how I learned to make a carousel. That's a great post. I would recommend checking out. Uh, and then he just started going with it. Um, and then last week he posted a carousel about uh, Richard Vanderblom. I think I got that right. I'll, I'll link to this post in to both Sam's and Richard's report that Sam's post was about. Uh, but Richard is a guy who provides uh, analytics and research on the state of social selling, uh, specifically on LinkedIn. He's out of the Netherlands, uh, smart dude, really useful content. And Sam made a post basically about what was in that report. And the post went to a million plus in less than 24 hours. It just went absolutely bonkers. Sam gained something like, I was about to say 10,000 and now it's like, wait, that can't be right. But I think that's actually what happened. 
that Sam went from about 16,000 followers to about 27 in the course of two days, which I mean, <laughs> it's truly crazy, but it's so crazy that LinkedIn flagged it as suspicious activity. And, and that makes sense. Um, well, there's something very goofy and, and I'll say that uh, to the best of my knowledge, Sam Brown is an above board fellow. Um, no pods, no paid engagement, no uh, tomfoolery like that. I, he's just a, a singular personality out here talking about things that a lot of people are interested in talking about, things like entrepreneurship and how to do LinkedIn better. Those are two of, I would say, the top four or five topics in general on this platform. So Sam found himself in the very peculiar position where he was punished by the platform for doing what the platform wanted him to do, just maybe better than the algorithm expected anyone to be able to do it. Um, he ended up, I think it took between 48 and 72 hours for his account to get reinstated, um, which I believe happened now last Friday. Um, and then actually it happened again where then he, he was temporarily suspended on Monday. I want to say the, of this week uh, after again, there was uh, a flurry of activity uh, on his account. Um, at which point Sam just started paying for LinkedIn. And he said that he thinks that that is the fix that now that he is on a premium plan, that won't happen anymore. I don't know if that's true. Um, I've never gone to Linky Jail, and I have been on premium. Um, specifically, I've been on Sales Navigator for most of this year. So I, but also I've never had the sort of <laughs> problem that that Sam would have had from that sort of influx of activity. Um, and I, I bring this up, I mean, it's kind of a wild story, but the the idea of Linky Jail is a problem, right? Whenever this happens to somebody, it's a reminder of why, if you're building an audience on a platform like LinkedIn, you need to be mindful of the fact that you don't actually own that audience and that you can be removed at any time for cause or really without cause. And... That's just the reality of it. So, you know, and I, I say this as somebody who's been building an audience specifically on LinkedIn over the last year. And I, I am at the, <laughs> at the mercy of the platform, right? Is, I mean, at this point, I have not, sorry, exported or diverted um the folks in my community in, in large numbers um, in a way that if LinkedIn was suddenly to say, we don't want you here anymore. Um, I'm that attention that like a lot of these relationships have started building and, and growing over this year. They're just gone. Right. I mean, there's, there's no readily obvious way for me to even talk to specific people 
anymore, right? So, but that said, I at this moment where Twitter is in full-on meltdown mode, um, and Facebook remains, well, I mean, it's it seems like it's heading toward irrelevance to a large degree as a as a social media platform, um, as you know people under 25 more or less stop using it entirely and the company itself invests heavily in the metaverse. Um, but one thing that I think lets LinkedIn be different than those in a way that leads to these really nourishing, rich conversations to me, well, there, there are two things. Actually, we touch on it in this episode a little bit, but it's like they, the relative, I guess, lack isn't the word, lack of bots and anonymous accounts is huge. That when you are engaging with somebody on LinkedIn, you're pretty confident that that's, you're actually talking to who you think you're talking to. Whereas, you know, I, I've tried to get back into Twitter and it's just, I didn't have after five messages from bots in a given day, it's just, it gets to be a lot. And just, I, I, there's only so much bot conversation I'm looking to have in a given day. And it is on LinkedIn a little bit, but they're, they're not particularly good bots. And there aren't that many of them in a way that you can very quickly just go to um, ignore, archive, block, disconnect. Anyway. Um, so I, while the the jail thing is a problem, I I would be remiss if I didn't note how much I value LinkedIn's erring on the side of caution when it comes to this stuff. His, it, it does seem like a challenging problem to solve, and LinkedIn seems to have come up with a pretty good solution. They do need to figure out. How I mean, there's no reason it should have taken two days for Sam to get back on after that happens. You know, like that, the the trigger to get somebody suspended, um, like that strikes me as maybe a good thing to just like make it hard to be bot-like. But LinkedIn needs to do a better job of communicating like human beings when that happens in a way that real people aren't getting punished the way that that you know Sam and frankly a lot of other people have including a lot of people who are relatively uh small in terms of their following you know, like people who who are at a thousand or two thousand I mean, that's common there as well that if you're just like looking at too many profiles or sending a bunch of connection requests on a day, you may find yourself suspended, which is, it's just a little bit goofy. Um, I think that's enough on that. Let's get to this episode where today um, I am talking to a couple uh, of the marketing uh, leaders, let's say leaders. I was going to say gurus, and then Doug, Doug intentionally 
goes after gurus on an almost daily basis. So, but he is one of the people I've been paying attention to as an example of how to do LinkedIn well from November of 2021, when I first started paying attention. Um, Doug is uh, a marketer and he runs his own agency, Doug Lawson Marketing. He's out of Chicago and um, you know he was getting into TikTok then and he was leaning into video then. Um, and his attitude and messaging were so clear that he just popped off the page in a way that was genuinely compelling. That was like, I, I really want to know what this dude's got going on. Um, as comes up, I, Doug is deaf, which is also, I think, a, an interesting component of his story uh, in that he does lean into video. And we touch a little bit on sort of some of the, well, frankly, challenges of him putting himself out there in video talking you know, given how his voice sounds, but it, it was something that I found, like I said, compelling and to see somebody really standing up and owning what I refer to as their corner of the internet. Like nobody can touch Doug on what he does. Nobody can touch him and woe to you who might and try. He has been one of my biggest teachers on this platform. Uh, Nick Rayburn out of the UK. Um, he is a social seller. He's a member of the LinkedIn, what is it? Creator Accelerator Program. I think I got that right. Um, he also has a, he goes by the social nerd out on LinkedIn and runs his own agency called StoryScale. Um, and I wanted to have these two gentlemen on to talk about the platform, say from a wider angle. I wanted to talk to a couple guys who've been here for a while, um, been marketing for a while, and talk to them about the evolution of LinkedIn. It's one of these things, you know, this plat this podcast is about how much I love the the platform and how much it's changed my life in this year since I sort of discovered what the thing was capable of. So I wanted to bring these two dudes in to get into, was it always like this and I just missed it or did something flip at some point? And if so, what was that? And when was that? Um, so we get into that. Uh, we talk about the opportunity now for leveraging LinkedIn. Uh, if you're running your own company, leading a team or a member of a team, and then the future of where content creation and LinkedIn are going. Um, we, we rolled for almost an hour, but this was a conversation I could have kept going with no problem for a few hours. So I, I hope you enjoy it. Thanks as always for being here. Uh, Nick, Doug, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Um, I've had the two of you gentlemen 
on my radar from when I first had the the idea for this podcast now I think five months ago and I was on a run and I had to stop it was one of those ideas that was so compelling I had to just like do the thing right then and start jotting down episodes and one of the ideas for an episode then was so what LinkedIn was like in the before times like there and then where it's going it's appropriate i think that myself and doug are both wearing black and white because because it reminds me of star wars like when you said that like what was like what was it like before the good times before the empire basically (laughs) exactly yes and nick you are very clearly a skywalker-esque character out here always for good uh whereas doug is is indeed darth vader uh, in, in, in I've always considered myself more Boba Fett than anything <laughs> else. I'm alone in the galaxy hunting people like that. Your friend over here. So, you know, that's my jam. All right. Uh, Boba Fett meets Darth Vader. We can go with that. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> but before we dive into into the meat of why I wanted to talk to the two of you gentlemen, uh, on what is the first Linky Land episode to feature three uh, bearded white men in their 40s. It's an exciting development for this podcast. Um, let's let's introduce you a little bit. So just where are you calling in from? Uh, and when it comes to what you're doing on LinkedIn, uh, what is it you care about? Like why Why do you show up doing what you do there? Uh, Nick, you want to lead us off? Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm based in uh, the UK in a little seaside town called Eastbourne, which is right on the on the south coast. Um, it gets a bad rap for being a, a blue rinse brigade area, but there are young-ish people that live here too, and I am one of those. Um, as for what I do, uh, the best way to sum it up is um, we attract companies with this shiny thing, which is here, which is every magpie organization in the world wants this and that is more revenue more pipeline more growth more inbound opportunities they want to make more money they want to grow um but what we're actually doing is this thing secret and this is this is the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning and that is we're empowering people inside those organizations giving them a voice allowing them to express themselves through creativity and giving them a shared sense of purpose and by doing that they make more of this it's it's beautiful. That's that's what I do. In a nutshell. Doug? I'm, I'm Doug. I'm from Chicago. I live in a town probably 15 minutes north of Chicago. I'm on LinkedIn to make a living, man. Um, but, but what I actually sell is I help companies and individuals like yourself try to get some traction with content, whether you're using LinkedIn or TikTok or YouTube or a combination of all three or more. And um, my goal is to make sure you have a thriving business by the time we're done with our work together, whether that means ongoing coaching or I do some of the work for you. So either way, I I, I consider my services like Goldilocks. So I'm not high ticket, high price. I'm not cheap. I'm Goldilocks for people who don't want to crank out 10 grand to get any traction. That's ridiculous in my opinion. But, you know, so I try to be for the common people, I would say. 
So that's what gets me out of bed. Right on. So yeah, the two of you are, well, you're both excellent creators. You have been for quite a while. You both are, let's say on the forefront of how to use video effectively on LinkedIn. You're, you're two who have been well ahead of the curve on that. Um, and frankly, you're both people that I've looked to as I've tried to get more into video um, this year. And, um, so I, given that you're, you're basically both in the business of leveraging content uh, to help people build businesses, this is what you do for a living, um, and you've been in the game for a little bit, I, was, I wanted to, to basically pick your brains about, as I mentioned. Like, this is what this is all about. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, isn't that all podcasts are, right? Bringing people on as an opportunity to get free advice. Yeah. Right? right. That, that, that's it, right? That's what podcasts are. Um, well, so I, I was a litigator for 12 years and ignored LinkedIn throughout that time. And it was only a year ago when I transitioned into business development that I, I had to start to learn how to use LinkedIn. And pretty quickly, once I did that, I got plugged into um, like sales LinkedIn, right? And then I touched on marketing and copywriting. And, and then my corner sort of became the transformational power of creativity, which Nick, I know is near and dear to your heart and Doug, you as well. Um, and the platform opened up in this new and amazing way. And it seems a lot of people have that experience these days uh, where you discover the potential for this platform specifically to, to be not just a place for your digital resume, but a place to find clients, but then even have nourishing conversations, make friends who become friends in real life. It, you know, I, Nick, I, I saw some of where you're describing your experience here as truly life-changing. It's yeah. been that way for me as well. seems like it has been for Doug. That's, that's, that's what I was going to say is that you, you touched on something there that um, I, think, I think the platform allows you and empowers you to fundamentally kind of, whether people realize they're doing it or not, but when you create content, it's almost like a subconscious form of journaling. You're you're getting a lot of stuff that's in you out and people don't realize that they're they're doing fine i i did i certainly did when i first started on the platform and yeah it's, it becomes transformational it, it allows you to to change yourself and, and empower yourself and that is there is magic in that dude it's it's it's, it's powerful stuff and and that's why the journey that i've been on that's what i want to empower and 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 get people to do in, inside the organizations they work for discover discover who they are and give them a, a voice you know give people that are marginalized in, inside um companies or people that they feel people that feel that they're you know disenfranchised or can't necessarily speak up because um because of who they are um it gives them a a platform and a a, um, a voice basically and it's yeah it's beautiful dude beautiful mm. I was just gonna say I agree with that. Uh, you know, 12 years ago, I started marketing services on Twitter, okay? And Twitter is definitely not a supportive community that not then and not now. Yes, you can find little rabbit holes that you can get into to find your own community. But if 
it really scares people away from doing what Nick just talked about, which is coming out and fully expressing yourself, experimenting with your voice and it's supportive, not what Twitter would demolish you uh, quickly. It just that's what Twitter's for. And I loved it at the time, but it wore me out towards the back end. And then if you get on YouTube and try to experiment, people demolish you in the comments too. LinkedIn has this community component that you're not going to find on any other social media platform, namely because I think people don't realize that LinkedIn is an open um, platform, which means you can't be anonymous. You can't hide. You can't take pot shots of people and expect to keep your job two weeks down the line. Your job is on the profile. Your employer is on LinkedIn. They can track your comments that you made on other people just by clicking activity. So it forces people to be on their good behavior and really support your community. A lot of people hate it, but a lot of people love it for the reason next to that. So for me personally, I love it. It gives me a chance to, what you, you want to talk about, create video, talking like that. And I should post screenshot for people just Railing me in YouTube for my accent nonstop. It's like 10 or 15 comments. What the hell is this guy doing? What did he choke on? He sounds like a dying mosquito. That never happens on LinkedIn. I'm sorry. That just never happened. They might be thinking that, but they definitely don't say that. So LinkedIn is definitely a community-based platform. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting you um you touched on that, Doug. And and uh, and yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it's um the fact that it's revenue is what drives it so there's a there's a your bottom line will get affected your your brand gets affected you know there's there's employees on there there's um, employers people generally when there's money involved tend to be a bit nicer <laughs> um and, and that's what that's what makes the platform so attractive and and like if, if you can't if you've got a fear around posting or fear around social you can't create content on linkedin you ain't going to post on any other social media platform because it is without a doubt the, the safest most empowering loveliest social platform there is compared to, to any other platform because it's driven ultimately by by revenue so that's yeah that's what there's a strong sense of accountability there and that's what makes it such a such a cool place to hang out interesting i i do see how that combination of identity you know that we LinkedIn just doesn't have the same problem with bots and anonymous accounts that other platforms seem to. And then the the revenue piece of the thing where you know, the assumption is everybody's got a, a reason, a job or a hustle as to why they're they're engaging on LinkedIn. And those two things having um, a positive impact on the discourse. Uh, Nick, that thing you just mentioned about how you think of LinkedIn as the safest place to to post. I'm I want to dig into that a little bit is I I think for me I found it to be the opposite. That I I find uh, you know, up until I discovered the platform in this new way, um Instagram, Facebook, Twitter were all easier for me 
um, in that when it came to LinkedIn, I felt like I needed to be quote unquote professional, right? Which is to say the idea of, you know, and again, I'm coming from this uh, legal profession mentality where if I'm posting on LinkedIn, I need to fit in with that idea of what a, a buttoned up professional lawyer would say on the platform. And frankly, I don't really think like that. And I, I didn't never had much interest, to be honest with you, in what I was doing. So I wasn't going to. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a um, a fear component in that. I wrote an article about that a while back. In that, knowledge gaps create fear, um, and you're you're coming from a historically really conservative um, uh, job, um, and being yourself, that there's. People don't realize that the, the the personal you and the business you are that and and they 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 create personas they create a, a um you know a, a different narratives or stories around those around business you and around personal you but when you when you meld those two things together that's when the, the magic happens and it's it's empowering seeing other people i think i think just watching and seeing other people be more relatable be more open and be more honest on the platform empowers you and gives you the opportunity to 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 do that as well i think yeah when you first start on it you're like you know how should i how should i i, I think i came from a um a very uh, i've always worked in um uh, the creative industry and, and in video but the company i used to work for was very blue chip very corporate um so when i had the opportunity to kind of go out on my own and get on the platform i was like i was like a dog off a leash i was just like let's just go crazy because <laughs> because i felt like i'd been kind of held back so in a way it was um it was yeah it was it was exhilarating just being able to kind of experiment and do whatever i wanted with with my content which was um yeah quite quite empowering but i think yeah I think there is that tendency, I think, when you come from a more, I, I guess, people that kind of work in agencies or come from creative backgrounds probably find it easier to translate to the platform and be more themselves than than someone would that would come from a more, historical, you know, like the banking sector or, or um, you know, uh, being a lawyer or something like that. I guess it's probably more difficult. I don't know. I'm making assumptions there. But... No, that makes sense. I, I want to hear from the two of you gentlemen um when you started on linkedin like when you joined when you started creating content and your take on you know, that that environment you're describing nick one thing i'm still not is has that always existed on linkedin and i just didn't see it until late 2021 or did something flip at some point and all of a sudden people started using LinkedIn, which is in a new way? Doug, you, you have a... I was going to piggyback on Nick's year, which will help finish this uh, question. It helped people who, who come from high corporate legal finance to go into LinkedIn thinking, okay, this is a conference. Right, this is the big industry conference going on. There's people with the table, right? And they're throwing business cards at you. And there's people in the outside of those tables talking, gossiping to each other. The real deal are happening at the bar across the street from the conference. 
They're having the most fun. They're making the best deal. They're making the best connection. Everybody in the comfort. Nick and I are in the bar across the street having a pint, having a laugh, helping people, uh, giving free advice, so on and so forth. So it helps if you come from that background to think about it. The best way to make networks happen isn't on the conference floor. It's getting across the street to that bar. So LinkedIn, historically for me, so I've been on here three and a half years, full time. But I've always checked in and out. Four years ago, LinkedIn was only a conference. It was tables set up. People were throwing flyers at you. If they had a job, they were, hey, I have a job. Hey, buy that. Um, it wasn't until a year before the pandemic, um, Facebook people started migrating over because Facebook got extremely saturated. That's where Shay Rollbottom comes in. Um, whether you love her or hate her, she is a lighting rod for that kind of change that was happening where she brought Facebook video, which the way she does video is very common on Facebook. It's uncommon on LinkedIn. And when she starts talking about the depression and all these traumas, she's that was like, whoa, whoa, we don't talk about that here. I'm not saying she's the only one, but she was a year before the pandemic leading that revolution. And the right behind her were people like Chris Walker or Leia Turner, um, sort of talking in ways that you don't normally talk. Again, I'm not saying they are solely responsible for my vantage point. Three, three and a half years ago, they were doing things that were quite common on other platforms, but uncommon on LinkedIn. And the pandemic hit, which is what I think personally should transform LinkedIn from a business platform into a full-blown social media slash business slash not working platform. But it was never like that four years ago. No. Yeah, you, you've got this, I think you've got this dichotomy on that LinkedIn with what it used to be, which is this very blue chip corporate, um, you know, CB networking site. And now it's a full blown, grown up, full fat social media platform with creators on it. And it's kind of doing this a little bit. And those two things are going to meld in the end. But, um, yeah, I had a similar kind of, um, I think I started around kind of 2019. And then, yeah, obviously COVID, um, COVID hit. I always say that COVID was the point at which digital picked up every single organization in the world and smashed its head against the wall repeatedly. And some companies went, oh, that felt funny. Let's just carry on doing what we've always done. And some companies went, we never, ever want that to happen ever again. How do we how do we get in front of and speak to our customers when we can't go to, to networking events um, anymore and we can't be in the real world anymore through, through social? So, yeah, it's a it was a wake up call for a lot of organisations, and but some some just went back to doing what they've they've always done. But digital is digital is here, whether you like it or not, is here. And and COVID was it. But that was <clears throat> my warm up. Well, in Nick, in, in something I was watching you talk on a video, I believe they're called. Um, you, you you mentioned your belief, a belief I share that we're at the beginning of, we're still at the front end of this very fundamental shift in business. And uh, I can, I, the book I published a few months ago, gets into this in great detail, but 
I want to hear you riff on that for a little bit. What is the nature of that shift? What are we looking at? Um, yeah, we're, we're looking at a, um, a change in, in I genuinely believe over the next decade that um, employees will have the power over brands. So if you if you take the time to invest in your personal brand and you grow up and you've got a follower base of 100,000, 200,000 people that will walk over broken glass to listen to what you have to say, that is enormous bargaining power when you go when you go to an employer. You can pretty much dictate your salary because you are bringing an army of super fans with you. Um, the uh, we always use the analogy with um, Nike. So Nike's got something like ten million Twitter followers. Serena Williams has got ten and a half million. Uh, LeBron James has got fifty-five million. Ronaldo's got one hundred and fifty odd million. So that brand, although it's a worldwide um, uh, very famous brand, the the people that um, employs to sell that brand inside that organization have got massive reach compared to that brand so we know that um i always use this i'm going to piss off a lot of people that work in sales and marketing but um um i believe those two terms sales and marketing are legacy terminology they're not there's not a thing that creates demand anymore if it ever did and hands it off to this department which closes it those two things are now this um and the old mechanisms of, I, I believe that we need new terminology around this because you look at traditional marketing, it has to go through, um, it has to go through corporate betting, uh, there's huge budgets involved in it, um, it has to go through legal and sign off. It, enabling and trusting your employees to post their own content will, you will literally swamp your competition by doing this compared to the, the old outdated, it's a bit like driving around in a horse and car and then suddenly a ufo is just landed in the parking lot the ufo <laughs> is, is is social and personal brand and sales and marketing is this horse and car it's like you just you're just not going to compete with it it's from another planet it's as simple as that <laughs> mm. well and when you're talking about the this idea of employees sort of the tail wagging the dog right that employees yeah. and individual contributors personal brands can out punch the the corporate messaging which is most definitely the case on linkedin um do you do you see what's that it's more nimble it's more agile so it, 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 it can't move at the pace that you know you the trouble is with and that's the beautiful thing about creativity is that it's so creativity is so 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 quick and Compared to the, you know, you, you build this kind of corporate monolith and it and it's it's based on systems and processes and, and those things are slow compared to how, you know, if a creator comes up with an idea, it's like, boom, I've got, I've got, I've, now I can create this idea. I've got real time feedback, my audience, I can iterate on it. I'm not, I'm not tied up and constrained by all these things that a, a company surrounds itself in order to be efficient. It's, mm. yeah. <laughs> well, do you see the potential of employees kind of pushing the brand, extending to basically anybody in the company? Or when you think about this, are you thinking about those traditional sales and marketing people? Yes, so um, so more of a cross section of people you get inside that organization. So people working in, in HR, sales, marketing, C-suite um, in particular, technical people as well, um, nerds, nerds talking to other nerds is a beautiful thing so so a nerd a nerd talking to another another nerd in the same language with their content is 
is amazing um but you're there's a there's a collateral gap that, that marketing has that it can't keep up with it. it i always think of it like um like an octopus so the, the more diverse your people are inside your organization and the more different departments you have on social think of that octopus as having more and more and more arms it's more and more or more opportunities to start a conversation the brand is the head but the people are the are the tentacles so the more the more tentacles there are the more the more you're going to grasp stuff um, and the more you're going to do it, the more quickly you're going to do it compared to the traditional sales and marketing routes. Mm. That was a good analogy, I think. <laughs> My silence is me taking a note. That's on that. That's a great analogy. Doug, do you have a thought on that? You want me to keep rolling? I wrote, I just wrote a post the other day about because somebody was challenging me that, well, you can't do that with employees. And I was like, you can't. And he was out. Basically, what Nick is saying, I don't work for corporate. I don't think corporate's like right? I work with mostly smaller startups who probably won the first round of capital. Um, who don't have this 30, 40, 50000 dollars marketing budget. Well, you already have a marketing team on your team. Everybody in your office is on your team. And the first gut reaction, just because that's how they grew up. They don't do, okay, everybody pays up. And then I come in and I'm like, no, we are not following the party line. Let's figure out what the brand is first. What is it? Similar to Nick's Nike analogy. Nike creates a shoe. Nike, yeah, Serena, Ronaldo, and Reebok do what they need to do. The only thing they need to do is wear the shoes. We'll take care of the rest. We will make sure you have a platform. And they bring the reach to Nike by being Reebok, Ronaldo, Serena. Likewise, for your small startup, you don't want to hire this uh, New York agency or Toronto-based agency or London-based agency. Work within your team and let them be creative and pull people in with their own algorithms because four is better than one. Four algorithms is better than one algorithm constantly working. So, and the key thing here, identify two to three things each of them do quite well at what they're passionate about. What value do they have to share to the market? And let them grow independently on LinkedIn. But have your company pay startup to show up the company in a great way. Have the profile be clear about who you work with. But the profile can't be corporate either. The profile still needs to be unique to that person. But they just happen to work at Nike, so to speak. You will get inbound. I've seen it with different, different startups leveraging other people's algorithms to bring in profit for people to talk to. So it works at the corporate level, and it works at the small startup. It works at the individual level. In fact, one of my clients uses his wife. So it's a small solo operation. But he got his wife to start posting on LinkedIn to help bring a little bit more leads into that. Again, two algorithms is better than one. So, and again, she was allowed to say whatever she wanted to say. And she talked mostly about raising children, cooking, and going running. He's not a runner, but two separate matches are still bringing in the same type of traffic that they both want. So I think, you know, letting your people talk is a hack. 
and 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 there's um there's a huge massive trust component that's built into that um some some companies are so yeah because they are guys the magic oh we gotta stay on magic we've got yeah we've got and it's like well you 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 allow those people to close deals you allow those people to talk to your customers you allow those people to to you know drive your delivery vans whatever it is you do but you won't allow them to post on social that tells me straight away that tells me that silence tells me more about your company culture than than you can possibly imagine because you won't allow them that tells me straight away that your company culture is toxic because you won't allow them to post on social um by by empowering those people and giving them a voice you're doing yeah and this is why it annoys me when people refer to social media just as sales and marketing when you're talking about how amazing your company is to work for from an advocacy standpoint people start throwing their cvs at you that's not sales and marketing that's that goes a lot deeper than that 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 builds a much bigger three-dimensional map of what your companies like to work for and, and what your value sets are and who the people are that, that work inside that organization um so it, it we're almost I, I feel like we're in the midst of a, a a renaissance with this stuff in the in the creativity it is like finally like the the creative guys always been stamped on through history and it's like finally we're getting our chance to to shine here and um inside those organizations you're yeah you're empowering and allowing those people to to be um themselves and that ultimately it's driving revenue for that for that company but it's the companies that won't allow um their staff to, to post on social i've seen it happen with clients that we work with clients that we're working with are moving forward in social and their competitors are preventing their staff from posting on social which means they're actually going backwards um and, and, and we've created an environment where ultimately the good guys win if you've got a, a safe beautiful lovely company culture and you trust your staff to post on social you're gonna you are gonna dump all over your competition and that is the way it should be it's that's how it should be that's well said and my my experience over the last year has definitely reflected uh, what you're both describing there where you know i was taking a business development role for this little consulting agency that works with nonprofits grew out of st louis remote team it's called mission matters group 10 team members uh, my ceo who's also a friend josh randa told me like you need to learn how to do linkedin this for the first time this company wasn't just going to be referral based they were going to try to bring in new humans and new companies to work with right and we said do whatever you need to do to do that and i picked creativity as my lane on linkedin um, because I, mean, I did justin welsh's operating system and i was like what can you talk about all day long and that sort of thing and i've been studying creativity for seven years now and so I started doing that and it opened up the platform in this new way. I gained traction as a creator. Oh, basically once I started posting daily in January um, and what we've seen as an organization, I've then been able, like what Doug would say, two algorithms is better than one. I've been able to help our leadership team gain traction. We've done some experiments as a company that have li they've lifted the brand awareness for MMG in a way that, and I mean, to be, I remain amazed at how it's happened. And it, it, I wish I could say it was by design, but it wasn't, but that company has punched so far above its weight class this year, um, simply by virtue of the leadership team empowering its 
team members and so five of us took them up on it in a way that we just we've done some really amazing things and that's the beautiful thing about it did you ever did you ever used to play um there was a, a nintendo boxing game where you were like a little dude and you'd have these like massive fighters that came in it's it's yes. like uh, you, you you've you've got you know a small team of 10 20 30 people can be much more nimble and agile than even a, a massive gargantuan beast can they can overtake a large competitor by by trusting and letting their team do that and that that is like the little guy can win by doing this and that is because because they're trusted and that is it's like it's like it's so cool (laughs) is is Um, epic (laughs) i believe you were referring to mike tyson's punch out just to be clear is we yeah we we need to make sure we're putting and we'll put that in the show notes for people who are looking for 1986 video games to play i got that game you have posters on my phone yeah uh we we're dating ourselves for sure uh so listening to you and obviously we're all in lockstep on the power here i'm interested to know what companies you look to as examples of how to do this well on LinkedIn is frankly, you know, I, I've started this, I've fallen ass backward into starting this agency that's focused on helping law firms leverage LinkedIn. And I, I'm looking at like, I, you know, I come from St. Louis, Missouri, and I'm, I'm like poking around the industry there that's where I'm starting to build. And I think quite literally, me myself, by myself, I'm outperforming, I have more reach than the biggest personal injury firm in St. Louis that has like 60 attorneys. And I don't think I'm being hyperbolic. I think I went through and I looked at everybody and what they're doing on LinkedIn. I was like, oh my God, more people have seen my stupid face than every single person at this huge law firm combined, (laughs) Um, which obviously creates a tremendous opportunity, right? But so all that to say, who out in, in Linky land is doing it right? Well, I think you're still doing it right. I mean, if you take your analogy, you know, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but in America, particularly out in the suburb, probably in the city too, you're a lawyer. One of the most common ways lawyers promote themselves, they take out a giant billboard on some road, and they go, and and, and, and they think that's going to convert massive promotion traffic. Tony will outperform any Holy white teeth lawyer on a billboard or a bus stop. Dodge. Far, far with that type of network he had. Sorry for interrupting, but me, you think most lawyers in America use the billboard or the bus dodge or they'll try to get in a magazine or something like that. And I've always thought, what a waste of money, you know. But so totally on the forefront for lawyers. I've never seen it done for lawyers. Um, they're very traditional in the way they market. I mean, there's no marketing court in law school that will help you get more clients. So that's that. Sorry for taking the conversation up. Go ahead, Nick. What were you going to say? Absolutely cool, dude. I was, I was going to say with with, uh, with Tony's beard game, I'm sure it would be absolutely fine if he was on a, on a beard <laughs> with his beard and his beanie on. He would, uh, yeah, he'd sell like hotcakes. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. It's it's indicative i think that that um one <laughs> you, you look at the state of advertising and what i'm talking to um companies they're advertising for a living and they're talking to me about social selling 
that that is indicative of like well surely to get in front of customers you just need to advertise <laughs> and and the other thing is the fact that i have to pay youtube to stop advertising to me tells you an awful lot about the state of advertising we are we are that that era of patent interruption and i'm going to bombard you with stuff until i break you and you and you buy it is over it's we we we, we're comfortable building micro communities and we want to hang out with the people that we we know like and trust um, and that's where influencer marketing has, um, has come to the, the forefront but yeah it's um it's yeah it's yeah. what we're gonna say Tim. i was gonna say go back to a question okay. i posed a few minutes ago who is doing it right out there because like i think of like come yeah go ahead so so two two spring to mind so one is um stephen bartlett and social chain um to me um he's a, a uk guy but um but their company was built around social um and the other one is probably gymshark but again their company was was founded mm, by, that's a good yeah but by, by a founder that that um understood um the influencer space and and rode that wave of the influencer space so they're, they're two companies that i can think of off the top of my head that are doing this really really well um, but again, they're they're two they're two young companies, and you look at the growth of those companies, and they are astronomical. I mean, Gymshark is just it's insane how much money um, that that company turned up, um, and how 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 large their growth has been over the past um, decade. Um, and I, I think you're you're starting to see this kind of you know you, you look at um, uh, myself and all of us here at, at Gen X is you look at our generation generations um, older than us we were the first generation to grow up with the internet for, to, to see that you know the, the kind of rise of, of personal computing and then we saw the birth of the, the internet but you're you're you know my my kid for example she's 11 she's grown up with with them um, YouTube she's a digital native she she all of her stuff she she finds online and you're you're you know this this kind of old guard mentality of like we you know we still don't quite understand what the concept of the internet is that generation will, will die off soon and you've got you've got younger um uh, gen z's coming into the marketplace who the only way they communicate is through is through social is through um is through tiktok they they search on tiktok they they message on whatsapp they message on on them um, on you know um, snapchat yeah yeah um so so that they are they are digital natives they understand this environment and if you're not talking to them on these platforms you don't exist you're not you're just you're not there um, as far as they're concerned so so how are you gonna if you if you're not there if you're not visible how are you going to attract and retain that talent if they don't even know you exist pick it back in off that real quick just real quick, um, my cat 13 and 11 have never seen a TV ad. Think about that. So every shoe they've ever bought, every t-shirt they've ever bought, every food they've ever bought has come from YouTube, TikTok, or some variation of WhatsApp messaging, Discord. So in fact, um, we, I forget where we were, the whole time, we were watching TV, the TV ad coming out, what's going on? I mean, <laughs> what is that? You know, I'm like, this is not nothing, but you know, so yeah, this generation is demolishing traditional marketing. You have to get on social side, you have to be on the platform. 
I'm using brand awareness and influencer marketing a little bit. But yeah, our kids haven't bought anything from traditional media. That is my experience. Well, oh, where did you find these shoes? Oh, I'm following this dude on TikTok. They have, they're awesome sneakers, man. Oh, okay. How much are that? 300. Oh, bloody hot. Okay, you know. <laughs> the way kids consume content, and that tells you an awful lot about the future of, of what I refer to as, as you know, traditional sales and marketing. You're, these companies are wondering why they can't get in front of people or talk to them. It's because the, the models that you're using are, they're outdated. I'd say it, but they are. <laughs> and if you look at these content creators, they're not saying, hey, buy my shoe. It's an awesome shoe. We got them in blue, red, and green. No, they're dancing. They're like, you know, they're like, <laughs> and they're like, oh, what shoe did you wear? It? I want those shoes. I don't know if you're on TikTok now, because I need to see some I need to see some Doug's TikTok game is strong. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very uh well, listening to you guys talk about that, is it, the question that comes to mind is why are there so few like major brands or sizable companies figuring this out faster? In in that it's it, it doesn't seem like rocket science to to like see how the environment is changing and how the internet is upending things yeah because i think social is it, although it's been around for for you know over a decade it's still relatively new and in in terms of i i genuinely believe that social compared to um traditional marketing is an entirely new new beast it, it, you can't take the models and mechanisms of traditional marketing and and overlay it onto social um it, it it's 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 too nuanced it's too you know you look at how um communities are formed and how conversation evolves on on social it's it's too nuanced to apply things like funnels or 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 any of the traditional methods that um the market uses i, I do genuinely believe it is it, it's an, an entirely new beast and i think that uh, companies have have so long for, for for decades and decades referred to this traditional sales and market model that has worked for them and still does continue to work it's just that the the mechanisms are getting less and less effective and now it's like well something's changed here but we can't quite put our finger on what it is it's this thing social um and they're not that they're still trying to take this round peg and stick it into this square hole that is social and it's not it's just not working and that speaks to a follow-up question i was about to ask which is why aren't the marketing departments the people who are paid to do this stuff making the adjustments and i guess that's because they they are fundamentally different skill sets or and activities yeah. Well, you're talking about two different budgets. You're talking about big, massive brands. They have millions and millions of dollars. The easiest thing to do is dump it into ads. When you're talking about underdogs, people who don't have those big budgets, they are on the forefront of today's marketing. So if you're talking about, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to think of something. Uh, a traditional Chase Bank, Chase. Okay, Chase is not going to get in the social game. They, they don't need to. Um, they just out volume the entire market by dumping ads all over. They 
they don't marketing it's actually buying property and you can't bank anyone out unless you chase bank that's an example but we're talking about big national brands they compete with a different older mentality which is we're just gonna make you buy our stock because we bought the property or we're just gonna dump millions into ads to the point where you can't see anything else but our brand so you're talking about one percent of the entire business market that is able to do that yeah right beneath the one percent they're trying to play that game and they get bombed out so fast investors are getting now it's the people down here they're like we want to play with the big boy but we're never going to have that budget so what do we have well i have TikTok, i have linkedin i have what's that what what can we do with that oh wow okay you know let's do it here so that i think it's not that company don't have the means to do it. It's like they play a different game. Whether it works or not, it, well, Chase Bank has been around forever. But uh, that's the game they play. They just buy property in your mind. Ooh, physical reality. The rest of us have to play the community game. And we're not playing it. I generally enjoy it. But I, I hope that from my perspective, two different mindsets. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a there's a fear component as well of, of um, fear creates uh, knowledge gaps or knowledge gaps sorry create fear and and when you don't understand something um, like social you it's easy for companies to just dismiss it put it in a box and go well that's it's toxic and it's horrible and and we're not going to hang out on there because um, it's not going to work for us because you don't I don't understand that that's what they were saying so so you put it in a box um. And, uh, and I think, yeah, with with um, companies and organizations, it's be be willing to accept that because um, we do this a lot. I go into companies and I, and I start to I start to pull down sales marketing's church one brick at a time. And it makes them feel uncomfortable. It makes them it pushes them out of their comfort zone. because It's like all the things that you you've spent an entire lifetime learning some of those things don't work anymore um, and, and it makes people feel a little bit uncomfortable so I think if companies are willing to to allow themselves to to unlearn and learn stuff again um, it, it would it would help and, and there's a fear component of that it's like well I know how the world works I know how it how it operates it's like well, you used to but it, things have changed <laughs> well in, I know we're running up on time for you Nick so I, I'll I'll put this out there as a uh, a question for for trying to put a an exclamation point on this conversation that do you see looking into your crystal balls I, I guess if we're on that bell curve is this going to behave like a bell curve where there will be mass adoption in more traditional industries and with bigger and bigger brands i mean is this a situation where we're at the front of a gold rush and then the the big ones are going to come they're going to pick up their their wagons and head out west and if so what year is that going to happen and then I'll, i'm going to hold you to that Thanks. um you're you're getting me to make um the, there's always a thing I, I did a post about this about gary v and these predictions gary v will predict about four different things a day and then in in 10 years time they'll go look i predicted that <laughs> <laughs> um 
in terms of the bell curve, yes, I think it is. I think you're going to get some companies, some industries and some sectors where um, I spoke to one the other day, I think it was a drilling company. Um, uh, um, they build they build um, drilling components. But the problem they have is is um, uh, attracting uh, talent because they're not on social but their their industries worked a certain way it's kind of like a dinosaur but it just kind of plods along and does its thing i think industries like that won't ever necessarily adopt um this this mindset or mentality but but that was the that was the the problem they were having the need that they were having is like it is attracting um younger talent it's like well it's because you're not on social that's that's the problem um but in terms of the bell curve i think i think you're probably going to see in the next I'm going to say five years. Um, that's what are we now? I, I'd, I'd say around kind of, yeah, 20, 2028, 20, 2030, I think we, we're going to start to, to hit the, the top of that curve. But then you've got things like, you know, um, Web3, you're adding into the mix, things like AI, things like, um, have you ever, have you guys ever used Midjourney at all? It's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, I, I get to, I, I, I sometimes wonder when I'm typing content or, or making videos, it's like, how long is it before I get replaced by an AI and just I just dump a thought into this thing and out spit some content. I've always had this theory and this this thing blows my mind. Um, how I, I, I think that we're meat sacks tied together with stories. And, and when we interact with other people, those stories overlap and they change our stories. So when we do that through our content, think of it like pollination. We put out a piece of content that affects someone else's thoughts and feelings and it and it infects their content. So their content gets adjusted and, and um, adapted by it. But then they put out content and then that affects someone else's. How this giant neural network of content is is influencing and changing other people's and it's all coming back around like that stuff blows my mind. <laughs> I think, you know, ever since Elon Musk took over Twitter, it made me realize that the future is going to be companies buying social media platforms and controlling the narrative and or creating more social media platforms than ever before to take this social styling model and just control the narrative. Um, they do that through advertising and data already, but Elon Musk is the first person to publicly just buy a whole social media platform, fire everyone, and control the narrative. And I think that's what's coming for platforms in the next five, six years. I mean, you've got TikTok, which, you know, is controlled by, I don't want to get into conspiracy theories, but if you look at TikTok in China, it's about engineering, it's about math, it's about, you know, smart videos and if you look at the American algorithm is dancing is you know all this you know mindless stuff so somebody's controlling the narrative uh even though we are making a living from this platform and we can find profit to thrive I think in the future you're just gonna see more platforms and more mega commerce just trying to follow people so to speak, and to the many products that they offer, similar to the Chase Bank Leopard, you will not be able to bank anywhere else but Chase because that's what they're going to be doing. And so that sounds very doomy and gloomy, but I think the human mind and creativity will always find a way to get in front of it somehow, some way, the spirit of the underdog will beat AI bots 
will be to make a comment every single time. It will be painful, but there's always people in the creative side who will find a way to break the system. And uh, I don't think we're there yet, but Elon Musk was like, oh, I see where this is going. So just, if you don't like something, just buy it. You know, so uh, I'm, that's my prediction. That's the flip side to that is is um large corporates creating their own their own social platforms. Um, I, I I do find it I find it strange that Microsoft owns um LinkedIn and it and it is um it's the most it is for me it's the most social of of all social media platforms. But it's owned by by a mega giant blue chip, which is the most corporate of corporates. It's it's bizarre. There we are. <laughs> all right, gentlemen. I really appreciate your time today. Um, I will be including obviously your LinkedIn profiles in the show notes. Uh, is there anywhere else you want to direct people uh, to find you or what you're working on? You're both you're both shaking your head, Nick. Yeah, because we're hardcore social sellers, we know that our profiles are our landing pages, dude. That's where we convert. So. I know. Amen. <laughs> I don't. Um, I don't. I, I had this argument with someone the other day about um, how websites are now defunct. Like, <laughs> what do you need to go on your website for anymore? <laughs> that that annoyed a lot of people. But there we are. Uh, that's most excellent. As I'm now two weeks into running this new company, and I, the website is like ninety percent of the way done. But I am running into this issue. This isn't the first business I've started. I'm like what am i who's actually coming to this website like and i i'm i'm struggling with that so to actually hear you say it that way i really appreciate that i came across a post the other day man i could speak to you guys for hours but i came across a post the other day which um blew my mind as well is that that kids are kids are going on to well they have been for a while it's why it's why google bought youtube um but they're going on there to, to search in the next stuff they're going on TikTok to search for stuff they're not going to, you know, so so people have built entire systems, processes and organizations around the concept of SEO. But like the SEO has become fragmented and now it's just existing on certain platforms. So unless you're on those platforms, you don't exist. <laughs> yeah, fascinating stuff. Well, thank you both for doing this. This has been this has been a blast and I feel like maybe we're going to have to do this again sometime. Yeah, yeah. Later. Have a good one, Tony. All right. And thank you for listening to another episode of In Linky Land. Uh, in the show notes, you'll find the uh, links to Doug and Nick on LinkedIn, uh, as well as Richard Vanderbloom, who I mentioned before. And I'll throw Sam out there as well. You can find Sam too if you want to. Um, and I'll also mention that uh, my book is still out there in the creative arena. It's available on Amazon. 22 five-star reviews. 22 people cannot be wrong. Can they? Can 22 people be wrong? Uh, there's a question I'll leave you with. And thank you for listening. I'll see you out there in Lincoln Lake.